We are in the book of James, James chapter 5. We are getting close to the end. I'm excited to come to the last chapter. If you got out of your house and you forgot your Bible or your battery is low for your device, we would love to let you borrow a Bible. You can raise your hand. And our two bouncers here, ushers here, will... <laughs> well, you're not too intimidating with your pink shirt, Chris, but... That's right. And uh, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 6 this morning. I entitled our message, A Warning About Wealth. Again, it's the last chapter. Looking at the remaining verses, too, by the way, uh, of chapter 5. My projection is we'll be done probably December. We have two weeks of special guests. In fact, we're going to have a special guest speaker in November, too. I'm excited. A Messianic Jew is coming. He's going to talk about biblical prophecies through the feast and God's plan for Israel. So that, that'll be really good. So we'll probably end beginning of December and then we'll, with Christmas, we'll do some special messages and, and then we'll, we'll start First Peter uh, at the beginning of the new year, okay? All right. Well, if you're there with me, James chapter 5, I'd like to invite you to stand as we do in honor of God and his word. Stretch your legs a little bit. James, of course, the half-brother of Jesus, as we've mentioned before, a leader of the early church. His Hebrew name is actually Jacob. And so in the Jewish and Japanese Bibles, for example, it's Jacob. But he writes, he says, Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Those are strong words that he has. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded. And their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. That's so graphic, isn't it? It says, you've heaped up treasure in the last days. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, they cry out. And the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth, or host, or the God Almighty, is what that word means. You've lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury, the idea of in, in, in decadence and indulgence. You fattened your hearts as in a day of slaughter. What a graphic image. And then he just says, you've condemned and you have murdered the just in this last little interesting phrase, and he doesn't resist you. Now, we're, we're going to pause there. James has application to this, but we'll pause there. We'll pray, and then we'll unpack these things together. Lord, we thank you for our morning. We thank you for your word, your spirit that comforts, encourages, lifts up our hearts. Lord, thank you that you know exactly where each of us are at, what we need. Lord, you're so good and gracious to supply and to love and to heal. And Lord, you also love us so much that there are times where you exhort, even convict, that we might grow and grace in the knowledge of Jesus. And so we just simply give you this time 
to lead and guide and speak. And Lord, as we so often pray, that you might grant us ears to hear and a heart that's yielded and that would obey. We love you and we know that you love us. We want to draw near to you today as you draw near to us. And it is in Jesus' name we ask and pray together. Amen. 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 Please take a moment. Say hello to someone that you don't know. Introduce yourself. Shake a hand. Hug a neck. All right. Even before I start, I just throw out a prayer request and a number of people are under the weather and seems like regular sick is back. That's a good thing, right? Praise God. But, uh, but they're not feeling well. That's not good. So. And even for Yoko, she's translating the Japanese, but she's been fighting uh, sniffles and a cough. And so uh, I thought I'd mess with her and go super fast and off my notes and everything. So I just took her. This, poor, this, poor, this past four weeks or so, if you've been with us, uh, I've made basically two statements or similar statements that have framed what we've been talking about as we've making our slow walk through James 4. Now we're in James 5. The first is grace changes everything. Right? That God's grace is the game changer. It, it flips the script. Uh, it, you know, it, it is the thing in our life that just puts everything upside down, or I should say maybe everything upside right. And it's true of all things in our life. I mean, even our life in itself, the Bible describes it how we were once blind, but now we see. We were once lost, but now we're found. Uh, we were once far off, aimless, lost, if you will, but then God brought us near by the blood of Christ. Um, we were guilty, but now we're forgiven. Uh, and I think one of the greatest pictures, we, we were dead. We're dead in our trespasses and sins, but the grace and the mercy and the love of God, he made us alive with Jesus. God's grace changes everything. Changed, and it continues to change everything. And that's where then we enter in with James to realize not only has God's grace changed our life, but it's changing our life. And the way then that we view life and the way we value life, our, our place and our purpose, our identity, our passions, our pursuits, all of that, all of that gets in a good way hijacked for the glory of God. And it plays out then in just our everyday. And that's where James becomes really practical about that. And in the everyday, the things, even the things we say, God's grace should change that, the way that we view and value our words, to realize that they are impactful, that with our word we can build a life or you can tear somebody down just by the very thing you say to them. Scripture has a lot to say about how we, we view and value each other, the priority and the place of relationships in our lives, that we shouldn't play favorites, that there's no division in the body of Christ. That, you know, we're this beautiful mosaic of different shades and shapes and sizes that God brings us together for his glory, display of his grace. And so it should view, you know, change how we view and value each other. It, it should change how we value time. That's what we talked about last Sunday. To look at time as a gift that God has given us. And to remember the sobering fact that time is short, that we're not promised tomorrow. We're reminded of that often. 
people that we know and love. And, you know, and we say, oh, they were taken too soon. Uh, time just seems to, you know, just quickly escape us. All of a sudden you blink, you're in diapers, and your kid's, you know, graduating high school, and now they're asking for mo money to pay for their college books. <laughs> and uh, the Bible has much to say about money as well. And for me, it's one of those topics, I'm like, ah, uh, there's so much abuse and uh, overemphasis, you know. And yet, this is where the scripture brings us. I want to be faithful to where God has brought us in his scripture. And the Bible has a lot to say about money. I mean, there's some people that, some Bible teachers that even say that Jesus taught more about wealth than he did in heaven or hell. Some even say that he taught more about money than heaven and hell combined. Now, I, I don't know. I, I, I didn't fact check that claim. Uh, so I, I don't know about that. But what I do know for sure is that the scriptures, both the Old Testament and the New Testament, do address finances and address them often. You don't, can't make your way uh, through too many verses until you bump into a passage that's talking about money and wealth and you know, uh, our prosperity and these kind of things. Because money was and money is an important factor of everyday life. We realize, okay, it's a, it's a tool. But according to God, it's also an important facet of our faith, of our everyday faith as well. And so we want to make sure we understand, okay, what does God want us to think and do? How do we view and value then not just the commodity of time, not just the resources that he's given us, not just our talents and treasures, but also, uh, you know, treasures, excuse me, not just our talents, but also our treasures. And so we're going to consider James his warning here, it's a strong warning about wealth, or maybe it's even just to the wealthy. In the context, we want to understand what does it mean for the original audience, but what I want to do this morning, I'm going to do, is I'm going to pull in some other verses that I, I really believe help to undergird some of the things that he's saying. So we can understand God's heart then for you and for me, and when it comes to uh, this thing called money that God has given us. So, verse 1, I draw your attention back there where he says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. James has used this phrase, come now, for the second time here. And each occasion, he seems to address a specific group Back in chapter 4, verse 13, you read with me, he says, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go and do these things. And now here at verse 1 of chapter 5, he says, Come now, you rich. And so it seems as though they're, he's drawing attention to a particular group within the wider audience that he has been addressing. And I want to submit to you that given the severity of the warning and the strong words of judgment here, it should for us cause, cause us to pause for a moment and say, James, who are you talking to? Who, who are you addressing here at this time? Because on one hand, we know that James is not afraid of conflict. Right? He's the guy that's like, nope, I don't care, bring it on. I, I will. He punches straight, he punches hard. I mean, some of us, right, we don't like conflict, right? We, want, we will avoid it at all costs. Like, 
I don't want to deal with it. It's too much drama. It's too much of expense for me. And, you know, we just hope it'll go away. and We don't even engage anything. James is the opposite. He will get in your face. He will tell you like it is. He calls us out in our sin. Uh, he doesn't mind to say, hey, you, you're doing wrong. You better get right with God. Now, don't get me wrong. He's not a jerk. He's tough, but he's tender. Right? There's a grit to him, but there's also grace in his words. Uh, he speaks the truth in love. And as we encountered these times, we, we made mention, like, that's good for us. That's healthy for our Christian walk. We, there should be somebody in our life uh, that we have given invitation to come and just say, hey, you are off path. You're, on, you're not doing the right thing. You know, it has a license to call you out, to challenge you, challenge your thinking. And that's good for us. That's healthy for us. There's times where we need a pat on the back. There's other times we need a kick in the pants. And James is the kick in the pants guy. But these six verses, they seem to hit a little different. There's a little bit of an angst there. And so the question is, James, who are are you talking to me? (laughs) Are, are uh, Are you addressing? Who are you addressing? Come now, you who are rich. And so we were like, okay, he's talking about those that have money. Uh, comparatively, if I look at, you know, my bank account to what I know of, like, Elon Musk or uh, these other, like, okay, that's not me. I, let's just go to the beach. God bless us, and we'll move on, right? <laughs> but you know, and I know that if, no, if, I, uh, if we look at the world, right, it's been said if we have a, a dollar in our pocket in our bank account, then we are considered part of the rich, There's two things that I notice as he uh, enters into this section. The first is he seems to have dropped one of his favorite labels that he has used when he's addressing them. Anybody know what that label is? What's the identifier that he's peppered in along the way as he's been writing this, these letters? Anybody know for a thousand points? Brothers. Brothers, very good. Brethren, very good. My brethren, or even my beloved brethren. I mean, over and over again, you know, he, 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 like, like some of our moms, right? James beats us with his spiritual flip-flop, <laughs> but reminds us that we're familia, right? You know, it's like, James, like, I love you, mijo, but I'm going to beat you with my chancla, right? That's <laughs> my zodi, right? Amen. Throughout his letter, he recalls their relationship even as he's rebuking them because he's speaking truth, hard truth at times, but very lovingly. Hey, my brethren, my beloved brethren, don't forget these things, but notice with me in these six verses, it's not there. It's, it's interestingly absent. And yet at verse 7, it pops up again. Actually, verse 7, verse 9, verse 10, verse 11, verse 12, and verse 19, it just shows up again. And the tone takes a very different tone. So that's one observation. Hmm, who's he talking to? The second, you know, with me, there's no, there's no course of correction prescribed here. Aside from weep, <laughs> weep and howl. That, that's the idea of lament, and we'll get there, over the fact that you've invested in earthly luxury, and yet you are eternally lost. 
You're in the wrong investment category. That's the idea. And it's a very harsh verdict that James brings and says awaits them because of their misplaced priorities and pursuits. It seems as though, we'll get there next week, the application then, verse 7, therefore be patient, brethren. And he reminds them that God is coming, the Lord is at hand, there's a judgment that's coming, that the application then for the believer is, hey, don't fret so much about what's happening to those who abuse others, because God is the righteous judge. So, in light of that, I want to suggest to you that James is not specifically addressing the Christian here. He's writing to the Christian church, certainly, and within the greater community, the letter that he would write, like many of the New Testament letters, that were read in one community, in home church, and gathering, and it was passed around, uh, it includes then this broader audience. There were some Jewish Christians, but there are also just Jewish who weren't Christians and Gentiles who weren't Christian. Remember, in James 1.1, he says to the 12 tribes that are scattered abroad. And so this wasn't specifically to a church in a community or a town. It, it, it's kind of a wide, a wide berth, if you will. And so I submit to you that this particular group, though, he hones in on was the wealthy, the rich people who are sitting in those communities amongst the rest of the people, and they lived their life without a care in the world as though their wealth was their ticket to everything safe, everything that was going to be good. It could buy them out of problems and buy them into positions of power and platform and prominence, and that's what they're used to. And James is saying, uh, you're trusting in the wrong thing. Many years ago when I was uh, in college, like many of you, I, I, worked, I worked two jobs, went to school, and one of my jobs in Riverside, California was at the Old Spaghetti Factory restaurant. Anybody ever eat there? And so the Old Spaghetti Factory restaurant, most of the time I worked as a line cook. Occasionally I got to be a host. And one of the nights when I got to be a host, it was a very busy night, like a two-hour wait, that kind of a thing. And all of a sudden, this guy comes in really nicely dressed with this you know, lady. And obviously, they're on a date. And he comes to the host kind of table, hostess station. And he says, how long is the wait? And I'm like, it's two hours long. He's like, how about the trolley, which is kind of this train thing that people like to sit in. I'm like, mm, it's about three hours. And then he says, oh, I think you forgot to put my name down three hours ago. And you know, I was like, first like, what? He's like, yeah, you forgot to put my name down three hours ago, I'm pretty sure. And he goes to shake my hand, and when he shakes my hand, he slips me a $50 bill, right? And then I'm like, you know what? You keep your filthy money. I'm not going to be bought with your lucre. <laughs> no, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. <laughs> Some of you already started laughing before. I told you, you already knew. I'm like, oh, yeah, I forgot to put your name down. Come this way, right? <laughs> Now, don't judge me. Don't judge me. I was unsaved. I was a starving student. At that time, 50 bucks. You know how much Top Ramen 50 bucks bought? In my day, Top Ramen, it was a quarter. A quarter. And I'd have variety because I'd have oriental flavor and chicken and beef. Right? 200 packs of Top Ramen. I, that lasts me a year. 
There are people that, they're, they're just used to that, right? They, they'll buy their way into places. They have money. They have the ability, and they're used to that. And that was the same in the culture of James's day, too. And James seems to be writing to that particular group who thinks, well, when they get on the other side of eternity, they're going to stand at the, the hostess table of, of heaven and they're going to slip St. Peter 50 bucks and say, I got a seat right here. They're used to getting their way because of their wealth. And James is letting them know it doesn't work that way in the kingdom of God. I mean, it was a prevalent thought. Uh, we, we get a little bit of a hint of that. For example, you remember, uh, actually it's the encounter, I believe, what Jesus has with the rich young ruler. And, he, and he's talking about earthly wealth, right? He tells the guy, hey, here's, what I, here's the thing you got. It, money's become an idol for you. Your possessions possess you. Go sell it on Jerusalem yard sales. Take the money, give it to the poor, and you come follow me. And it says he couldn't, right? He left grieved because he had a lot of stuff. And Jesus turns to the disciples and he says, I tell you the truth, it's hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And it says the disciples are blown away. And then they ask, how can anybody be saved then? Because the cultural thought was, oh, if you had money, then, you know, God blessed you. And money equaled God's blessings and God's blessings equaled money. And so if these people who had all this money couldn't do that, then like, how can that, who can be saved then? So they equated that as well. Of course, Jesus says, well, with man, it's impossible. With God, all things are possible. It's that prevailing idea, though. And so here's a word, a very strong word of warning to the unbelieving wealthy, but it's an earshot of the believer, right? It, the believers, as we read it today, and they heard it originally, uh, they can hear it too. And, and I want to suggest to you that it's a word of exhortation and warning for the unbeliever, but it's a word of, of encouragement for the believer. It reminds me of Psalm 73, the psalmist. It's this interesting psalm that progresses from the beginning where the psalm, and I'll paraphrase and just uh, appreciate your grace with me for that. The psalmist looks around and says, man, everyone's just doing better than I am. My evil neighbors, they hit the lottery. They got Tesla camels. Like I got nothing. And, and he gets frustrated by that. Like, you know, he, you know, him and his family, they're struggling. They don't seem to be doing well. And yet everybody around them who's living up in the world, they're prospering. They're doing good. They didn't get cancer. They didn't, you know, they're, and, and, and he just says, Lord, I don't understand. And then there's this pivot. I think it's uh, maybe halfway through Psalm 73. And, and he says, I didn't understand what God was doing until I came into the house of the Lord. Then I understood God's plan. So good for us to come to the house of the Lord, right? Allow us to get our perspectives and views aligned with the Lord. So it reminds me of. Sometimes we look at the world and think, man, look how they have it. Look how they're living. And we're tempted then to abandon what God has for us to go pursue that as though that is the end all. And James is wanting to remind them, 
hey, to trust in that and to live like that, the end is judgment. The end is corruption and corrosion. Uh, it's, it's death. And so what does that mean as we read this? Uh, we don't, it's not for us. We're good. We can leave. No, that, that's where I want to fold in some undergirding principles, even as we understand, okay, what did it meant for the original audience, but, but what underpins this? And I want to share eight of them with you, and I'll, and I'll go quickly. I see our time. So the first is to understand first and foremost in context, though James is saying to the rich, you better weep and you better howl because judgment's coming. It is not. The scriptures do not condemn or denounce wealth in itself. God's word never condemns the wealthy in and of itself, people that have money. The context helps us to understand this, right? James will bring us and understand his warning here, this, this harsh, strong warning, is because they trusted money as their savior. That's the idea. They idolized it. They're serving it. They're pursuing it. Jesus said, you and I cannot serve two masters. We can't serve money and serve God. You're going to love one and you're going to hate the other. But that's exactly what they're doing. They're serving mammon. But understand that earthly wealth in itself was not a sin. It's not ungodly. In fact, there are times where God blesses and, and people are wealthy. Abraham, Old Testament, New Testament. Abraham was a wealthy guy. Uh, Moses was wealthy. Solomon was wealthy. King David. Uh, these were all very wealthy individuals. They had a lot. And God never condemned them for that wealth. In fact, in the next section, James is going to reference Job. There's a lot to Job's life, but one of the things we realize is, man, he was very wealthy. Of course, he lost a lot of it, but at the end of the life of Job, God blessed him, and he actually got twice as much than he started with. It wasn't as though God said, I'm teaching you a lesson, I'm taking it all away, and so you better learn to live in poverty. And so again, we understand the perspective, God's perspective about wealth. It's not a sin in itself. We don't have to feel guilty or ashamed. God has blessed you that way. We get to the New Testament. We encounter people like, uh, well, Matthew the tax collector. We know that he was wealthy. And Gaius is a guy that had a lot of means. He'd open his house for traveling missionaries and bless them and send them on their way. Uh, Lydia. Lydia was a successful businesswoman. She had her own Etsy shop. And, you know, God blessed her. And, you're right. And so, again, it's not evil. It's not bad. Proverbs 31 woman, right? Uh, scripture commends her for her side hustle. So we don't want to disparage and malign those that have wealth. God doesn't. So that's the first thing. That's just the principle that girds this. And along with that, though, is what is God's concern then? Well, it's what we do with it. Like anything, what do we do with it? What do we do with the time that he's given us? What do you do with the talents that he's given you? What are we doing with what God has blessed you with? And what God has given you? Specifically in this case, money. Your treasures, your material blessings. He goes on and he says, Your riches are corrupted. Your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver are corroded. And their corrosion is going to be a witness against you. In fact... What you thought was going to esteem you, it's going to eat your flesh like fire. That's a picture of judgment. 
Why? Because you've heaped up treasure. The idea, the implication is for your greedy, selfish self <laughs> in the last days. That word heaped in the original Greek, it's the, it's the idea of hoarders, hoarding. You ever watch that show? It is terrible. Don't watch that show. <laughs> I mean, here's the issue. The issue wasn't just God's, you have money, praise the Lord. The issue is, what do you do with that? The issue is, what's your heart with that? For them, this is why there's a rebuke. They loved their money. They loved their wealth. They trusted in it. They're hoarding it. It was just earthly treasures. And instead of blessing others, instead of giving it away, in fact, we're going to find out they cheated people. They robbed people. They defrauded people. And what James is saying is, listen, all of that is going to spoil. All of that that you think is so great, it's going to go to waste. It's going to become corrupted. The Bible does admonish us in a good way to say, if you have more than you need, which by the way is the majority of us, right? I mean, if we're going to be honest, we have way more than we need. We have multiples of things. Some of us have so much, we actually have to rent another space and put it in storage because we got so much, right? I mean, you know, no condemnation. <laughs> Sometimes we have garages that are so full we can't even fit our cars in. Nothing wrong with having much. Again, don't, don't be misunderstand. Nothing wrong with having garages, even if you can't put your car in it. It's the heart, though, that God's after, right? Do not hoard God's blessings for selfish gain. It's not to say you can't be wise in investment and have a savings. We talked about that last week. The Bible says uh, it's a good person, a good man that leaves an inheritance for his children's children. And so we want to be wise. What is the word? What, what does God direct us to do? Well, Paul writes to Timothy, and, and there seem like there are a lot of affluent people in his church. So there's a number of things that Paul tells Timothy to tell his church. And one of the things he says, he says, Timothy, I want you to command the people, tell the people who are rich not to put their hope in riches. Start there. Don't put your hope in riches. And don't be arrogant and boastful. You have a lot. Listen, you can be blessed. But don't put your hope or trust in riches because they're uncertain. I don't know about you, but I, I see the stock market thing going. And the few pennies that I have, I'm like, oh no, Lord. But we're to put our hope in God. And 1 Timothy 6, 17 and 18 goes on to say, God who then richly provides for everything that we need, and I love this phrase, for our enjoyment. And so if you've been blessed, guess what? You don't have to feel guilty or ashamed. You can enjoy it. But he says, but tell them to use their money to do good and be rich in good works and generous to those who are in need and always be ready to share with others. And so this underpins what James is saying here. That we don't want to put our hope in earthly wealth. That's what these guys were doing. We want to do the opposite. But the temptation is to look at the world and say, wow, this is what the world does. This is how the world lives. This is how the world values. I'm going to do that. Because the world system 
esteem, it gives celebrity to people who are wealthy. If you have money, then you have wealth, right? You have celebrity and you're, you're celebrated. We often lift up the financially wealthy as the pinnacle of what success is as defined by the world's definition. But God says, no, that's not my definition. Money is so uncertain. It, it provides, again, the reality is it's a false sense of security. It is the wrong metric for our worth. Jesus tells us very similarly. He says, hey, watch out. Guard your heart against every form of greed because your life is not defined. It, is not, it does not consist of the abundance of the things that you have. And so don't fall into that trap. Don't run that race. Your life and the value of your life, it is not defined by the size of your bank account or your uh, portfolio or the numbers on your paycheck. God doesn't define your, the value of your life that way. We often do. Listen, we can richly enjoy all things, but don't look to things to be your source of joy. That's the idea. Why? Because God wants us to be content. See, what happens in James 5, 1 through 6 is a group of people, they weren't content. They're just hoarding and heaping. Enough was never enough. More and more. That's the idea. And again, the Bible encourages us it's First Timothy again. Paul says to Timothy, uh, this you can be sure, it's godliness with contentment is a great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. He says, well, we brought nothing into this world, and guess what? We're taking nothing out. There is no U-Haul in the back of a hearse. He says, but if you have food and clothing, be content with that. Keeps it so simple, right? If you eat and live indoors, be blessed. You know, contentment is one of those things that uh, we, we learn. And we learn contentment through, well, discontentment. <laughs> Paul writes to the Philippians, he says, I, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secrets. Even for Paul, it was something he had to learn, right? We're learning this, and it's a good thing to learn. I've learned the secret of being content in every situation, whether I had a lot or I had a little, whether I was well-fed or I was hungry, living in plenty or living in want. And it is, brothers and sisters, where we then pursue contentment that that then becomes the antithesis, right? It displaces then coveting. It's a good question to ask ourselves. Lord, am I content with what you've given me? Am I content with what you've provided me? These guys weren't. He says, indeed, verse 4, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you've held back by fraud. Again, notice context. They're not giving. They're hoarding. They're, they're defrauding. Well, they cry out in the cries of the reapers. People that they've paid, this agricultural society, they've reached the ears. God hears them. The Lord Almighty, that's what that word Sabbath means. The Lord of hosts. Sometimes we think of hosts, we think old spaghetti factory. That's not, 
That's not the imagery. When you hear Lord of hosts, you think, oh, that's kind of nice. Would you like a seat? I need 50 bucks. I'll put you in the trolley. No. It's the Lord of... Sometimes the, I think the NIV translates as Lord of angel armies. That's a good translation. That's what you think of. It is God Almighty. And a God who cares about the less fortunate. That's the idea. These people didn't. They exploited them. And we realize God's heart, though, is for the less fortunate. God cares about the poor, and he wants us then to care about the poor as well. See, judgment awaits the person who's defrauded uh, others. God is going to make wrongs right one day. So we get to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Do you realize that? That you get to be the vessel in which God pours into you and blesses you and then you in turn get to then be then the hands and feet of Jesus to somebody else and bless them in the name of the Lord. And God wants us to have that heart, his heart for people who have little and less. And that's the heart of the Lord always from the very beginning. He gave dignity and worth to people, even if they didn't have much. If you had a lot, God would say, listen, don't, don't completely glean your entire field. Leave some for others so that he, they would have dignity to go work and be able to provide for themselves. And those that couldn't work, well then, yeah, we're to help them and you know, give them and provide and have handouts. But for people who could work and able body, well, they had to go work. But this group, they were defrauding people. He says, you've lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury, indulgence. You fatten your heart as in the day of slaughter. It's a graphic image. The indictment was that they're living with no regard to the future. With the mantra of, you know, you ever see those bumper stickers a long time ago? Oh, sorry, those are my notes. He who dies with the most toys wins. Then someone else had one. He who dies with the most toys dies. <laughs> and all the while, they didn't realize they're storing up in hoarding their earthly things equated to them storing up wrath for themselves in the day of judgment. And James is telling them unapologetically, here's the verdict. It's evil. It's all going to be corrupted. You're trusting in the wrong thing. You're cheating these people out of their wages. And you're just making more money for yourself. The poor got poor and the rich were getting richer at the exploitation of the common worker. That is still something that happens in our life today. Corporations are like that, right? Big tech and big pharma. The rich living in sinful opulence and decadence while others suffer needlessly. And God says, I see it all and their corruption will catch up to them. And so he's reassuring the oppressed justice is coming. Again, that, that, that's what verse 7 and on we'll talk about. What's the principle for us though? And monetary wealth, just like time, it's a gift from God. It is a blessing from the Lord. And so you don't have to feel guilty about it. And if you've worked hard, praise the Lord. 
If you've earned a lot, praise the Lord. You've made promotions, praise the Lord. The Bible says it comes from God anyways. In fact, the Bible even says, what do we have that we really didn't receive from the Lord? God cares about what we do with it, though. And so with that comes an expectation that you and I then would invest in what God wants to invest. And here's the crazy thing about God. He says, I guarantee a return on your investment. It's not like if you had uh, Bitcoin right now, right? <laughs> Unless you pulled it out a while ago. The Bible gives us this financial law of faith, this principle that God operates by. That's amazing. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Paul writes the Corinthians and he says, here's a principle. If you are stingy, if you sow little, you're going to reap a little. But if you're generous, if you sow a lot, guess what? You're going to reap a lot. But he adds in this though, but everyone has to determine in their own heart. That's between you and the Lord. And then he comes to heart. God loves a cheerful giver. Right? God loves a cheerful giver. You don't have to give under compulsion or reluctantly, like, oh, I got to do this. If that's our heart, God says, I'll keep your dollar. I'll, I'll wait till you're willing. <laughs> I don't know about you, many uh, a lesson of faith I've learned through my wallet, of trust and my own attitude. And so what are we to do? Well, we're to use earthly wealth to invest in God's kingdom, deposit in God's bank. Because Jesus says, don't store up your treasures here on earth where rust and moth will destroy. In the Okinawa version, and mildew and mold. <laughs> where thieves break in. But rather, store up your treasure in heaven where it doesn't get corroded and corrupted. There's no moth or rust or mold or mildew. Thieves don't break in because where your heart or your treasure is, there where your heart will be, right? And so the Lord tells us where to invest. And he guarantees this amazing payout, the dividend of the bank of heaven, a multifold return. We will not regret it. These guys are living for themselves. We're called to live for the glory of God. And then he says, you've condemned and you've murdered and he does not resist you. There are many financially rich people and corporations who have become rich and continue to be rich because they've exploited people, they've condemned people, they've, they've even killed people. And money makes people do weird things. You know, sometimes you can test a person's character. There's different things. Give them a place of leadership and watch what they do with it. Put them in a very stressful situation, watch what they do with it. Give them a bunch of money and watch what they do with it. Sometimes money makes people do weird things. And sadly, sinful things. Even individuals, not just corporations, right? not just big tech and big pharma and all these. I mean, sometimes it's people who will lie and cheat and steal and defraud and, and yes, even kill for money. And so James just calls that out. This is what you've done. You're guilty of these sins. Now I want to suggest you speaking metaphorically. I don't know if he's speaking literally. After all, it's, it's a heart issue as he's addressing. Paul again tells Timothy, it's a parallel passage, 
First Timothy 6, he says, those who want to be rich, you need to warn them because here's the danger. They fall into this temptation and they can become ensnared with many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. And here it is. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And he goes on to say, and many, and he adds this, believers, they have abandoned the faith. They've pierced themselves, right? Self-inflicted because they've pursued something that God didn't want them to pursue with many sorrows. And the ending principle for us is, gang, we need to guard our heart then wisely and well from the love of money and the, lo- and the lust of worldly wealth. That little phrase, and he doesn't resist you, I, I suggest that he's talking about the person that was being taken advantage of. They have no power. They have no agency. And where James is going to pivot from here, he's going to say, therefore, we can be patient. God's the avenger of that person who's been defrauded, taken advantage of. God sees you, cares for you, loves you. We might look at the world and think there's tremendous inequality. Why are they getting away with these things? And God says, hey, I got you. That'll be next week's message. Uh, The Lord knows our sinful tendency, if you're like me, to trust money, to trust my bank account, to try to solve my problems by throwing a credit card at him. And the reality is earthly wealth is false security. The reality is it easily becomes an idol. It is the grace of God in your life and mine that waves a flag of warning, that rewrites what true wealth really is, what true value really is. We remember we are already rich in Jesus Christ. And so may we find true contentment in what God has given us. And may we be generous as God has blessed us. Enjoy it and invest it to the glory of God. Amen? Amen. All right. Lord, thank you for your word. Ah, there's some hard words that James is bringing. But uh, Lord, we trust as we enter the same passage, there are things that some of us needed to hear, a word of caution, a word of encouragement, a, a, a word to remind us of what really is valuable in this world. It's so easy for us to define our own self by Um, the number in our bank account. Lord, I pray, even as we honestly consider what we have, if we're honest, we have a lot. We have more than we need. Sometimes we don't think so. We look in our closets and we think we got nothing to wear or we got no more shoes. But Lord, help us to just pursue and learn contentment. And Lord, help us to pursue and and learn generosity. The blessing of that. That's more blessed to give than it is to receive. And that we might then make great deposits into the bank of heaven that have eternal dividends. Lord, we won't regret that. 
So help us to know that and see that, pursue that. And it's in Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. 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 All right. God bless you guys.